Bridge is an acronym for books recycled to instruct, disciple, guide, and educate. We firmly believe that reading is critical for Christians to grow in their faith, and so we strive to make Bibles and gospel-based Christian books available at very affordable prices. Our purpose is to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through written and spoken word. We do this by providing resources and educational opportunities for people to grow in their knowledge of biblical truth so that they are equipped to share that truth with others. You can visit our website at bridgebookstexas.org where you can find our Reformed podcast, Bridge Radio, where we bring on Christian authors, apologists, and scholars such as Dr. James White, Dr. John Frame, Joe Beakey, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, and Tim Trumpert. You can find Bridge Radio on iTunes, Android, Windows, and Google Play or stream via our website. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That is 1 Peter 3.15. And as always, this is Bridge Radio coming at you out of the great state of Texas, proclaiming the gospel fearlessly and faithfully. Um, I am your host, Julio Mar Rodriguez. You can go ahead and call me July, whatever you want. By the way, anyway, so we just got done with the conference, and uh, actually, how rude of me! I forgot to introduce you guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Terrible, I'm, I'm sorry. On, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Oh, anyway, so to the right of me, I got uh, the theologian himself from the valley, Mr. Uh, a W. Varilla. A W. Varilla, and then we got the boss, the founder, El Jefe himself, uh, Mr. Stephen Hartog. Stephen Hartog, how's it going, everybody? All right, so, man, so um, we don't have a guest on this week. Um, actually, we were supposed to have a guest on, mm-hmm. for those who listened to our last podcast. We were supposed to have Sam Storm, but uh, something happened. Do y'all want to uh, kind of describe yes, what happened? Uh, Julio, we had some technical difficulties. Yeah. Hey, Abe, can you elaborate a yes, little bit? Yes, Julio took the cable home, <laughs> even though he won't admit it. No. He took it home to his guitar and left it at the house no. and took the no. extra stand. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no. We, we don't know what happened. We, so. we, we don't know what happened. Happened, guys, but we were supposed to have Sam Storm on, and I was losing my mind trying to find the adapter to my laptop it's to record. The boss. It, yeah, yeah, and Steve was was upset as well. I was. I literally was like, just if I could, if I wasn't a Christian, I would have punched a hole in the wall, and yeah. it wouldn't have looked very. Uh, Steve very almost nice. fired you though for this. I was almost uh, fired was, on the yeah, spot. He was like, "You're fired. done. You know, yeah. you're done. That's it." Yeah. God's grace is greater than mine. Yeah. Anyway, be, th- be thankful for that. So, the uh, the sovereignty of God, it's. It happened for a reason, guys. Anyway, yes. So, um, so for the month of June, uh, we don't have any series really lined up. Um, I'm actually going to kind of take a break from podcasting for the month of June, and um, and so for those of you who have listened to the podcast, you know that we held a conference this past week on apologetics, and it was excellent. We held it at the uh, at the university here uh, in our location, Texas A&M International University, and we had an excellent turnout. Y'all want to talk about that? It was that? great. Yeah, yeah. Was I was awesome. really pleased with how everything turned out with the number of people that we had show up and mm-hmm. and uh, Tammy, you did a great job. Aramark Catering did a mm-hmm. great job and mm-hmm. uh, we just uh, speakers, of course, you know, each one of them was unique yeah. and uh, just brought a different perspective and right. uh, it was just uh, it was it was a 
a very worthwhile time to uh, to all be together as uh, as believers and uh, to grow in our in our knowledge of the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I say I say that bring up the conference and the get like I'm not going to be doing the podcast because what we're going to be doing for the month of June is releasing uh, the the talks, the lectures that, that were in the conference. We had four speakers, so um, just be ready to see some uploads uh, every week, and one might be uh, what the topic was for, for our discussion. And, and today's, uh, we're going to go ahead, for or for this week, we're going to go ahead and release Eli Ayala's talk on the superiority of the Christian worldview. Yeah. He talked about the importance of, of having a biblical worldview, which yeah. I feel like is so essential to the Christian faith, um, and I feel like a lot of people lack that understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Eli just did an excellent job teaching um you know three fundamental pillars um and uh it was just good 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 talk um but anyway hey what did you think about the conference it was great you know i brought some brothers down from uh the valley uh uh, these these guys love apologetics and i was excited to bring them up and they were just blown away i mean i i I had uh one of my uh, one of my brothers who is uh 19 years old uh he's in college right now and he was just eating that stuff up. I mean, it, right. w- it was just great to see the, just the hunger oh, that's and great. the craving that uh, he had for this. And then ev- I-, I think everybody there was just like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes. So um, it-, it was just really encouraging. Um, I-, I got to learn a lot, mm-hmm. you know, from those gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just the mind that those guys have mm-hmm. in right. presenting apologetics is fascinating and right. amazing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. We our, our speakers uh, were uh, Mr. Paulson. He's a physics teacher here in Laredo. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of outreach. He's been the means to reconcile people to Christ, uh, to saving faith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, an, an excellent person to talk mm-hmm. to about the Bible. He's a he's a student of the Word, and uh, he did an excellent um, talk on just reconciling theology and science. Yeah. Uh, we had Eric uh, Hernandez uh, come on as well and talked about the the uh, cosmological argument mm-hmm. for, the ex- for the existence of God, and that yeah. was incredible. Uh, we had, again, Eli Ayala talk about the superiority of the Christian worldview, and then we had Matt Slick come on and talk about the inspiration of the Bible. Yeah. That was excellent as well. Yeah. And uh, it was just, just good talk, so just just be expecting that. I think, um, you know, I, I read uh, 1 Peter 3, uh, 15, um, and that's where uh, we get... Uh, sort of the great commission to do apologetics and mm-hmm. I, I would say to a certain degree um, obviously preaching the gospel is foremost very very important um, for evangelizing but I feel like now more than anything since the atheistic worldview and unbelieving community has really pushed down that you know if if you're a Christian you know what you believe in is a delusion you yeah. have Richard Dawkins writing you know the book the God delusion mm-hmm. um, and you know some some somehow this they've categorized as oh Christians are over here and they're irrational and they don't use logic and science and and we do and that's just not true at, it's just at to- all it was it's... totally refuted mm-hmm. through, yeah. throughout the uh, throughout the lecture series that oh, we had yes we've we've had we had brilliant brilliant guests on and so um yeah I don't know if y'all we have anything else to share I just wanted to uh, just flesh out a little bit more about the worldview mm-hmm. um, lecture that we're going to be listening to today with Eli and how fundamental that is he talks about how critical it is really to 
uh, have that as your foundation, that mm-hmm. Christian worldview, that filter or that mm-hmm. lens through yeah. which we understand the world around us, how mm-hmm. we make sense of what goes on around us. And, and the Christian worldview really is the only one that gives us an understanding of the world that we see. We see the depravity right. of man, mm-hmm. but we see God's grace through Jesus Christ and right. how that brings us back into a a right relationship with him and allows us to live the way that we were created to live initially you know because of the fall we were separated through Uh christ we're we're reconciled to god Mm. and we have that relationship with him and we can be the people that he created us to be in christ we are truly free to be those people that uh, he created us yeah you guys are going to enjoy this any last words? I do. I just want to give one last uh, shout out. We have uh, had several people um, kind of underwrite this conference and make it possible for us to do it. And so I just wanted to give a, a brief shout out to those people. For one, we had a- Abe and Allegra mm. Vieira. I can never pronounce your last name. Varilla. Just say Varilla. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so Abe and Allegra. Uh, we had Juan Menchaca from Jamco, mm-hmm. the uh, forwarding agency or the customs broker here in Laredo. Steve and Karen Paulson, Dr. Mm-hmm. Rafael Mangual, and Christopher Elliott. So mm-hmm. thank you so much mm-hmm. to all of you for helping us with that because we, we couldn't have done it without, uh, without yeah. that help. So we right. appreciate it greatly. Right, right. All right, guys. Well, enjoy Eli Ayala's lecture. You could also find it up soon, probably next week, uh, on YouTube. So you could actually see the actual video. Oh, and nice. uh, and so, yeah, we're going to be getting up that as well with all of our other speakers with PowerPoint slides. We also have a Q&A that's going to be posted up soon. So yeah. be on the lookout for that. But uh, until then, enjoy this podcast. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And we'll see you back on the next one when Sam Storm is actually going to come on. So that's <laughs> yes. going to be next week. Next week, yes. Peace out. Take Peace care. Out. Bye-bye. Later. Uh, how's everybody doing? You guys are good? All right, good. Sandwiches are delicious? All right, very good. That's evidence that God loves you. Um, I purposely wore the brightest shirt because my message is the most important, and so you need to remember it. So if you don't remember anything else, you're going to be like that guy with the blue. That was super-duper important. Um, I actually do think that mine is the most important, Um, and the reason is not that the other topics are not important, but when you discuss the issue of worldview, you are dealing with foundational issues. It actually gives a context. It fleshes out all of the specific things that have already been discussed. Uh, For instance, uh, when Eric uh, was discussing the cosmological argument, um, that is a particular argument that tries to demonstrate the existence of God using certain forms of argumentation, but, but that assumes a worldview context in which that's done. And so when we talk about worldviews, we're talking about our intellectual glasses, It's the shades that we wear through which we interpret reality. And so um, I want to flesh that out a little bit more in a little bit more detail than um, that has already been done. Uh, The first speaker touched on the issue of worldview already, but I want to kind of expand on that. Uh, But first, a a little bit about myself. I am um, Puerto Rican. All right. I... uh, there's always my... In Texas. The Puerto Ricans in Texas. What's up with that? Oh, my goodness. Look, that's why we made the connection, bro. It was like an ethnic connection. I was like, my Puerto Rican monitor was like... Bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, listen, I, I'm Hispanic, and this is uh, very interesting because my, my, my Spanish is terrible. It really is. I'm fluent in Spanglish. My dad will speak to me in Spanish, and I will uh, respond to him in English and some distorted heretical view of Spanish. And... Um, 
I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church, and I grew up in a very conservative, very traditional Pentecostal church in which the services were like three and a half, four hours long. Jesus left before the service was over. So like the guy, you know, the pastor would have the altar call, Jesus would be in the back, okay, and then he's out the door, right? It was really, really long. We had church Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, and on Sundays we had two services, in the morning and in the afternoon. And so I heard uh, uh, the gospel preached in Spanish, but I didn't understand what was being said. And the only reason why I know it's the gospel is because my dad would try to horribly translate when we got home, okay? Now, this is a very, very life-transforming uh, situation for me because it is the very reason why I did not understand Spanish. That is what led me to pick up a little Bible underneath my banco, this little bench. We had wooden benches that were strategically made to be uncomfortable so that you don't fall asleep. Um, it's very bad when you do fall asleep. I remember I was hearing a sermon and I had a dream I was falling. And when I hit the ground, I woke up and my knee banged into the bench and you hear the echo, the preacher stopped. He was like. So it was a terrible situation. But I picked up my Bible and for years, as far back as I can remember when I was able to read, I would read my Bible Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, three hours and a half, you know, each service or if it went longer. And at the time, I was kind of like, you know, this stinks. I wish I understood what was, what was being spoken about. But God used that particular time when I was growing up in that church to make me fall in love with, with the scriptures, to fall in love with theology, to fall in love with history. And, and, and this was an amazing experience for me because I didn't understand what was being preached, but I still, in a very interesting way, was getting fed. You see, that is the hand of God in my life because this led me into later on in life when I eventually went to college, I took a class called Literature of the Bible. And again, like most people, right? It's like a, it sounds like an easy class. I know a little bit about the Bible. You know, check it out. And so I took this class, and instead of it being a class, you know, what it was supposed to be about, which is the Bible is literature, it was, uh, you know, the professor took around like a half hour to kind of badmouth Christianity and, and kind of explain why he thought, you know, it was a load of junk. You know, the Bible has a bunch of contradictions in it and things. I remember raising my hand and saying, isn't this supposed to be about literature? Like, isn't that what we're supposed to be talking about? Oh, well, well I'm getting there. And so I had to put up with a good half hour, 45 minutes to this two-hour class. I had to put up with people bad-mouthing, bad really, my, my religious perspective, which goes deeper than that, which is it touches on the most intimate relationship I have, my relationship with God. And so I had to put up and listen to this stuff. Now, I'd often raise my hand because I knew the scriptures well, and I was able to point out when the professor was misusing scripture and misinterpreting and things like that. But he began to bring up things that I've never heard of. You see, if, if anyone has been raised in church, you'll understand that it is often the case that we grow up, if that's our context, in a, in a religious bubble, right? The only, people don't know how to talk to unbelievers sometimes because you've only talked to believers before, and we begin to speak Christianese, and we use words that, you know, man, you have sin in your life, and the unbelievers are like, what's that, you know? It's a certain kind of heartburn you get. No, we, we have to define our terms, you see? But when we speak Christianese, there is that barrier, that bubble prohibits us from effectively communicating with other people, you see. And as, a, as, as someone who grew up in that religious bubble, I knew the Bible, and I knew when it was being misrepresented, but I never looked at the Bible from a critical perspective, right? It, when you go to a Spanish Pentecostal church, you know, you don't hear a lot of objections to the scriptures, right? Everyone believes the Bible. And this really challenged me. 
And so I did a little experiment. I, I pretended for a short while to be an atheist. How do you do that, right? And I put my atheist face on, right? I had to walk around like that for like a month until I was ready to kind of switch sides. I pretended to be an atheist, and I, I kind of explored what were the reasons for atheism. Why, why are there people who reject the Bible flat out? And, and after I did that, I came to the conclusion, I was like, well, Christianity is over 2,000 years old. And so these things are not brand new. Surely someone had to respond to these kinds of arguments. And that is what introduced me to the realm of apologetics, okay, the defense of the Christian faith. And I was introduced to all sorts of, um, you know, uh, authors and, and speakers. And the, the next speaker, Matt Slick, who is, uh, has a website, karm.org. I learned a lot from, from that website. And it was really an invigorating experience to know that there are reasons for the Christian faith. Uh, and a very interesting side note, my brother-in-law was a DJ at a wedding, and uh, it was a, he was a last-second DJ, and so he, had to, uh, he actually took his iPod, filled it with some songs, you know, for the reception, um, and he actually needed my iPod, so he filled my iPod with all of his material, you see, and so after the wedding, you know, everyone's like, tss, tss, into the reception, like, oh my God, is that? then he gave me my iPod back, and then I was like, oh, these songs, man, this is what I'm flipping through, and he has podcast, you know, who's William Lane Craig? And by the way, if you don't know who William Lane Craig is, he is considered one of the world's leading defenders of the Christian faith. Who is um, uh, Greg Bonson? Greg Bonson, also a very influential Christian apologist. You know, and I began to be opened up to these names and, and their websites and their material, and the door was flung wide open to, to encourage, uh, it encouraged me to, to take a direction in life where I saw the development of the mind as something very, very important and very, very much connected with what it means to be a Christian. You see, the world's perception of Christians is very, very distorted, right? When you see a Christian, if you're a Christian, you know, people well put together, very nice sometimes, you know. But the world sometimes, they perceive Christians like this, like, you know, hey, I love Jesus and I, I believe in the Bible. Not very intellectually rigorous. We believe on blind faith and we have no reasons for the things that we believe, you see. And sometimes, as Christians, we think that that's okay. But as you know, if, if you've gathered from a little bit about what's being discussed today, it is not right morally, and it is not right intellectually, to be intellectually lazy. You see, if the Bible is true, then we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And so we're called to think critically. We're called to think logically. We're called to think biblically. And so what I want to do now is I open up this particular topic, which is, it kind of sounds, you know, arrogant, I suppose, but the name of my talk is, is the superiority of the Christian worldview, because I do believe that the Christian worldview is a superior position. And I don't think that's, that's arrogant at all. You see, because positions that are true are superior than positions that are false. And I don't believe that every worldview is on equal par with one another. I don't believe that every worldview, uh, all the worldviews out there are valid. It was mentioned before. If one worldview is true, then its opposite is false. You know? I remember I, I posted a, a post on Facebook. And I, sometimes I just do this to kind of encourage a, a conversation. I, I posted, what must we do to be saved? You know, I didn't even say I was a Christian. I kind of just put that, you know, get different answers. And you got all sorts of different explanations. And this one girl, she posted, she said, Yoga. Just yoga. That's just the word. Yoga. It's like, that guy was like, what do you mean by yoga? Do you love one word answers? Right? I spoke at a church one time. We talked about creation. I got a piece of paper with the question. It said, dinosaurs? Question mark. That was it. 
right? Well, there's some implications of that. Yoga, what do you mean, yoga? And she began to explain that when you do yoga and you do kind of uh, these internal prayers to the divine, right, there, there's a way to kind of uh, become one with the universe and you could reach how sh what she understood to be salvation. And then she began to kind of expand on what she believed in and she, she began to, to talk a little bit about why she thought all religious perspectives are a guide to the truth. And so yoga and the religious perspective and worldview that she held to was one path. Islam is another path. Buddhism is another path. And all the other different kinds of religious perspectives that you can, uh, that you can think up, they are all paths to the truth. And so I said, are you, telling me, are, you, are you telling me that you think that all religious perspectives are valid? And she's like, yes. I was like, okay. Now, when someone says something like that, you need to, this is the logical mind thinking, you need to trap them, Okay. You want them to say it very clearly so that your next follow-up answer can get the, you get the point across. You believe that all religious positions are valid. Yes. Are you sure? You have three more seconds to take back your answer, right? When she said they were all valid, I said, what about the positions that say you're wrong? Are they valid too? Think about that. If all religious perspectives are valid, what about the ones that they outright flatly say you're wrong? If all positions are valid, you have a logical contradiction on your hands. You see, but we live in a society where it's very difficult to, to say things like that because we have, to use uh, uh, Matt Slick's uh, phrase, we have mamby-pamby people out there. Very, very emotional and very easily offended at any statement that affirms objective truth. You see, but if we're going to be faithful defenders of the faith, we must affirm truth. And if you want to be a logical person, you must affirm truth. Okay? But which worldview is true? Well, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, first, I want to uh, read from a passage of Scripture. Uh, I see some people have their Bibles, unless you brought dictionaries. They look pretty big. <laughs> um, don't use the books in the middle of the table. Those aren't Bibles. Okay? <laughs> I think we have Origin of Species over there. Uh, all right. I, I, want, I want you to turn uh, to First uh, Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. It was read before, but I want to kind of jump back a couple of verses. All right. And as you're turning there, First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. Um, I believe, I believe that not only does the Bible teach us that we must defend the faith, but I actually believe that the Bible teaches us a method of doing so. The Bible teaches us principles of thinking and reasoning that we are to apply to unbelievers. When we're discussing our faith with, with other people, there is a biblical way of thinking about these things and presenting them. Okay? And so I want you to follow with me. All right? This is usually the emphasis. When, when people do apologetics, the emphasis is almost always on always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's, that's in you. And I say, I say yes and amen. But I think we need to read from the beginning here in verse 15 where it says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. Notice what comes before, always be ready. Always be ready to give a reason. But what comes before that is you are to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. And when it talks about setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart, it is not referring to the organ in your chest, you see. And sometimes the Bible uses the term heart to refer to the seat of the will, that aspect of the intellect that goes into decision-making. That Jesus Christ is to sit on the throne 
of your heart and the truth of Christ dictates how we proceed to give a reason for the hope that's in us. You see, because we can do apologetics, but it can be done unbiblically when we lift other things higher than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, I find myself, and this is, this is a pitfall that a lot of people who study apologetics, they fall into. It is very often the case that we read a lot of books about God, and we don't really spend too much time in the Bible, right? Well, because I know the Bible, so I just want to kind of explore this thing over here, you know? Obviously, we want to read some books and be well-rounded, but for the Christian who is called to defend the faith, the most important book you can read are the Scriptures. Hiding the Word of God in your heart. Being a sponge that saturates the truth of God that when you are pressed, it comes oozing out of everything you do. Every word that you speak. You see, because apologetics is not always about intellectual argumentation. You can do apologetics when you encourage someone who's heartbroken and is beginning to doubt their faith. I don't always have to go into a teleological argument or a moral argument. Helpful, and there's a place for it. But to be able to speak truth into someone who's brokenhearted and is doubting their faith on that emotional level, how awesome is it? To be so filled with the Word of God that you could speak life into people. See, this is not often spoken about when we talk about apologetics. Because apologists, you know, myself included, we tend to be very here and not so much person to person, right? But when we do apologetics, we are defending the faith and we're giving an answer to people. And so we need to deal with people as people. And in so doing, we honor, the Christ, we honor Christ as Lord by doing it with, which is another portion of 1 Peter 3.15 that is often skipped, with gentleness and respect. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect. Before you start anything, may Jesus be the one who is sitting on the throne of your heart. So what is a worldview? We talked a little bit about it. Okay, now I, I, I like to use my glasses as an example, but I am blind. So once I take this off, I, oh my goodness. Where did everyone go? It's very blurry. A worldview is like a pair of glasses. Everyone has a worldview, as was mentioned before. Everyone wears a pair of intellectual shades. Some people wear Christian shades. Other people wear atheistic shades. Other people wear Hindu shades. Other people wear, you name it, any worldview perspective. And the important thing about looking at a worldview as a pair of glasses is that it reminds us that the lens through which they are looking filters all of human experience. Everything that we, ha that we experience as human beings are filtered through those lenses. And they affect our interpretation of everything. Now, interpretation is a very important thing because when we deal with apologetics, we often talk about the issue of evidence. We talk about facts. We talk about science, right? Science has disproven God, we hear all the time, right? right? Or we follow the facts wherever they lead, as though facts have legs and they walk and we follow them. You see, one of my favorite Christian philosophers, he, he says that a brute fact is a mute fact. Facts don't speak. We interpret things. We interpret the data of our experience and we come to conclusions based upon our presuppositions, based upon our worldview commitments. 
Now, is the commitment, your worldview, that foundation, your worldview, is it committed to the divine commentary on reality given to us in God's word? Or is our worldview based upon a foundation that is something other than God's sure word? Because whatever that foundation is, whatever the foundation of your worldview is, it will affect your interpretation. This is very important and very practical. We see this a lot when we talk to atheists and they say, well, you know, miracles are impossible. Come again? How do you know that, by the way? What must be true in order for that statement, miracles are possible to be true? Think about that. I don't want to get too philosophical, but if you hear this in a conversation, miracles are impossible. You need to recognize this person is coming with a particular worldview. He has certain presuppositions. And part of honoring God with all of your heart is, is also, and all of your mind, is also to apply logic vigorously because logic is a weapon that God has given us to identify faulty forms of thinking. So when someone says miracles are impossible, what are they assuming? Find that presupposition, take out your metaphoric gun, and blast it into oblivion. Because in order for miracles to be impossible, this person must know a lot. They must know that God doesn't exist, or if God does exist, he can't act in the world. How does he know that? How does he know that? You want to push the unbeliever's accusation against the wall and make them give an account for their assertions. Don't let people get away with making assertions without any foundation, without any explanation. Someone makes an assertion against the Christian faith, you challenge them right there. The Bible says always be ready to give a reason, but a good defense, by the way, also includes a pretty awesome offense, doesn't it? As I love martial art films, my, my childhood was filled with broken English because my dad spoke horrible English. Eli! <laughs> My name's Eli, by the way. My dad calls me, Eli, you need to see this movie. We, every Saturday morning, my dad would be in my mother's robe and uh, with a giant cup of Bustelo coffee and uh, a sandwich. Uh, he would have a, a Italian bread doused in butter with a giant banana shoved in there. And he, and, and he would have the coffee stains and the crumbs on, on his mustache and all. I would wake up to the sound of horribly dubbed Asian movies. Okay? I love, I love martial arts. And... I remember I fell in love with Bruce Lee movies. I love Bruce Lee, okay? And there's a very interesting thing that Bruce Lee developed a system of martial arts called Jeet Kune Do. And uh, what he believed in his theory of martial arts is very helpful in terms of, of apologetics, I think, even though he wasn't a Christian. Um, obviously, right? He wasn't a Christian. Um, he believed in, in using only that which is efficient and what works in combat. So, for example... Um, it wastes time to block and then punch. Why don't you turn a block also into an attack? Why can't you use a defense as also an offense? And, and we're called to do this too in apologetics. Apologetics is not only defensive. The defensive element of apologetics includes offense, going on the offensive, asking the unbeliever to justify their claims, but being equipped enough to also justify your own. And that's going to require us to do our homework. That's going to require us to, to know our, our stuff, to know the scriptures, to know why we believe what we believe, to have a worldview perspective, be conscious of it, and to live consistently with it, and to argue consistently with our worldview commitments. Now, a worldview is very, very interesting. I have a definition here, a bunch of different definitions. People say the worldview is the lens through which we see and interpret the world. Um, I like to interpret a worldview as a network of beliefs in terms of which all of reality is interpreted. A worldview is a network of beliefs. You know why I like that word network? Because it reminds me that everything that I believe is connected to everything else. 
if I were to tell you to close your eyes and think of one thing that is independent from anything else, you couldn't do it. Every belief is connected to some other belief. From the Christian perspective, that's why when I, when I talk about a Christian worldview, my beliefs about God are connected to other things about God. Right? What very important thing for Christian apologists to, to, to understand is the importance of theology in doing apologetics. Right? You have theology, you have apologetics, and you have evangelism. Our goal is to proclaim the truth to the world, but that requires knowing what the truth is. And in order to know the truth, you also need to have good, solid biblical doctrine, knowing what you believe and being able to explain it and defend it. So a worldview is a network, a system of assumptions in terms of which all of reality is interpreted, okay? Very important to remember. Also, I'm not a super smart guy. I don't know a lot about the specifics of science, the specifics of every point of philosophy, and, and I would imagine the average person doesn't have a, a very massive grasp on all these things. How, how many people, you, you hear some people talk and you're like, I wanna go home, right? Too complicated, right? Um, the Bible does not command you to be a genius in order to defend the faith. Although if you're a genius, it's pretty helpful, okay? Um, I think the Bible is, uh, I always compared the Bible and, and, and the, the way in which the unbeliever must be equipped. I always co considered it in, in this example that, that we are like um, icebergs and uh, a little tip of the iceberg is popping up off the top of the water, right? From the untrained eye, it just looks like a little bump coming out of the water, but you dip your head underwater, there is a massive foundation, Christians are called to be like that. We can deal with the unbeliever on that surface level, but there is a deeper foundation. And through the mercy of God, God walks us through that process, that he equips us with all, we, all is required of us sometimes is the minimum. God has given us in the minimum, given us the ability to give an answer for the hope. But of course, there's that deeper foundation that, that we can also plumb the depths of and, and of course, be, continue to be, in various contexts, effective defenders of the faith, okay? So, there are various components. Now, why am I talking about this, you know, not having to be a genius? Well, I don't know the details of every worldview perspective. I don't, right? Um, I spoke with Mormons a couple of weeks ago, and I generally know what Mormonism teaches, and I know the line of attack that I, that I try to kind of present when I'm discussing uh, issues of the gospel with them. But I don't know every detail. I know what atheism uh, teaches. I mean, it's not a specific system. You have different kinds of atheists. Um, but there are some details that you might not be aware of. And so this can often be uh, discouraging to people. Well, don't I have to learn all these things in order to give a proper defense of the faith? Well, well not necessarily. You see, when you consider apologetics or the defense of the faith within the context of worldview, you're, the, 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 the things that you need to focus on are the foundations you see, because if I don't know the particulars of a particular worldview, but I know the foundations, that's enough to destroy a worldview. If you pull the beams out from under the house, I don't need to know how many rooms are in the house. Think about that. Apologetics is not just giving an answer. The nature of that answer is that we destroy worldviews that lift themselves up in pride over the worldview that God has revealed. Apologetics involves warfare of the intellect, of the spirit. We want to get to those foundations. So what are those foundations? 
right? I think of three things. There's, there are more. But there are three basic foundations to every worldview perspective. And, and my, you can talk to me, atheism, you know, I mean, I, I, science this, science that, all important. But I look for three things. My goal is to identify these three things. You know, 50,000 facts, three things, okay? And one of them was mentioned. Three essential components of every worldview. Metaphysics. Everyone say, metaphysics. That was terrible. Metaphysics. There we go. Metaphysics, big fancy word, so what? It actually relates to one's theory of reality. What is real? What is the nature of reality? If you could identify someone's view on that, you don't need to know the specifics necessarily. Is the person a pantheist? Do they believe all is God and God is all? Do they, are they a metaphysical naturalist? Do they believe everything in reality is matter in motion? Again, I don't need to know the intricacies of science. If I know that that's his perspective, that will guide my method of discussion with the individual. What do you believe about the nature of reality? Metaphysics. Another essential pillar of every worldview is an epistemology. Everyone say epistemology, but don't spit on your neighbor. That was so bad. Epistemology. That person started too quick. He tried to go before everyone else. Epistemology. There we go. Epistemology is one's theory of knowledge. How do we know what we know? How do we come to knowledge about anything? Much less, how do we know God exists? How do we know anything? By the way, this is, per this is perhaps the most deadliest question you could ask anybody. I remember an atheist was just going on and on about his position, and I just was... And how do you know? And he was like... <sighs> You know, not many people are reflective of why they believe why they, what they believe and how they came to those conclusions. Not many people think about it. We could remember facts, we could remember explanations here, there, but not many people have reflected, how do I actually know what I know? And if your theory of knowledge conflicts with what you say about reality, uh-oh. You see, because metaphysics, your theory of reality, and epistemology, your theory of knowledge, they are very much connected. If you knock down one of those pillars, everything else falls by the wayside. That's why the foundations of a worldview must be built either on the shifting sands of human reasoning or on the sure, rock-solid foundation of God's Word. That's why Jesus says it is the fool who builds his house on the sand. You are a fool if you build your worldview on a foundation that is not the rock, hard, solid foundation of God's word. What can you tell me about the nature of reality without the foundation of God's word? Because if the Bible is true, it is the divine commentary as to what reality actually is. Who is the only one who knows what the nature of reality is in its entirety? It's the one who created reality itself. If you have a faulty epistemology, a faulty theory of knowledge, you're going to be in trouble. There's a position out there called scientism. People who tend to focus on science and they, they kind of put it on a pedestal. And again, science is a wonderful tool. I, b I believe that, that only within the Christian understanding of reality, science makes sense. But that, that's a different story. But some people will actually make the claim that all knowledge comes through scientific demonstration. They're called 
scientism is the view, and scientists who hold to that position, they will say all knowledge comes through scientific demonstration. See, what do we do at that position, at that, at that juncture? Remember when I said that I, I believe that the Bible commands us to defend the faith, but that the Bible also gives us a method of defending the faith? You see, in the book of Proverbs, we're given a really interesting method. In the book of Proverbs, we're told, answer not the fool according to his folly, lest you become foolish like unto him. And the next verse says, answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Contradiction. And God, do you want me to answer the fool or do you want me to not answer the fool because I'm kind of like mixed up on what's going on? Which one's true? Which one's true? Are we to answer the fool or are we not to answer the fool? Anybody know? I'm a teacher. I teach middle school, high school. So when anyone raise their hands, or, both of them are true. You see, we are called not to adopt the foolish foundations of the world. So I do not want to answer the fool according to his folly. I don't want him to think of himself as though he is in, in the right place intellectually. But for the sake of argument, I will answer the fool according to his folly to show him the silliness of his position. All knowledge comes through scientific demonstration. Can you scientifically demonstrate that all knowledge comes through scientific demonstration? Here, I've got a couple of test tubes in the back. You want to you demonstrate it to me? You see the problem? If all knowledge comes through scientific demonstration and you have not scientifically demonstrated the truth of that proposition, then it follows that it's false. It's a self-refuting position. It's a self-referentially false statement. Namely, that if the statement is true, it's false. It's like saying, I only know two words in English. If that statement is true, it's false because I use more than two words to tell you. You see? Logic. It's a killer, man. Answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Hypothetically adopt the position of the unbeliever to show him how foolish it is. Now, Eli, that's kind of mean. You call the unbeliever a fool. I don't. The Bible does. I don't know if there are, how many Christians are in this room. I mean, which, which the Christians on this side, unbelievers on that side, so I can know who I'm talking to, right? The Bible it doesn't just name, doesn't do name, drop name calling, you see. The Bible describes a position that has no foundation as foolishness. Proverbs 1, 7 says that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. If God exists, he is the very foundation of knowledge itself. And it's foolish to deny that foundation. So if you have a theory of knowledge that conflicts with what you say about reality from a defensive position, from an apologetic position, we want to exploit that. Without knowing every single fact of the worldview perspective, you can destroy an entire worldview by ripping the foundations out from under them. And I think that's a very helpful tool. It's tearing down those intellectual strongholds, so to speak. Okay? Also, we have another foundation. We have a metaphysics, our theory of reality, epistemology, our theory of, of how we know what we know, and of course, this is the one that everyone is familiar with, ethics. How should we live our lives? Good and bad, right and wrong, right? This is where you'll often see, you know, you'll often, it's very fun to hear discussions with atheists who, for the most part, my experience with atheists is that they affirm that there are certain actions that are morally right and morally wrong. Not every atheist I meet is, is a terrible person, you know, like, you know, like, there's no such thing as right or wrong, we can do whatever we want. Most atheists aren't like that. For the most part, my experience is they're fairly good people. Sometimes better behaved than some Christians. <laughs> He's like, amen, take up an offering for that. Listen, we all relate to ethics because it touches us at home. We're all, we all struggle with moral issues and moral difficulties. But when we're trying to destroy the foundation of the unbeliever, what we want to do is we want to take those three foundations and set them against one another. 
For you see, if you say that God does not exist, there are implications that follow from that. There is no objective moral, there are no objective moral values and duties that we're obligated to follow. Morality must be defined in a way that does not have as its grounding, it must be defined in the sense of a human perspective. That morality is defined by either individuals, the collective, uh, uh, you know, majority of individuals, and then imposed upon society to create what we define as order and stability, you see. But morality, the right and wrong, doesn't have an objective meaning to it on that view. And so if morality is not objective, then how can you make objective moral statements while you're denying the foundations? Why does the atheist affirm moral values and duties? We should do this. We should do that. This is the right thing to do. That is the wrong thing to do. This is the moral thing to do. This is the immoral thing to do. Wait a minute. If God doesn't exist, how do we know these things are moral and immoral? Who says so? Who says? I was watching a debate between Dan Barker, a very famous uh, atheist, and Matt Slick, that old, very unattractive man in the back. Okay? And it was an amazing debate because, uh, by the way, he cleaned his clock. Um, I, you guys will really enjoy uh, uh, Matt's presentation. He knows his stuff. The atheist defined morality as uh, that which, you know, things that are evil, that are bad, are that which bring about harm. And so, so Matt, uh, in his very Matt Slickian way, brought up a very interesting counterexample. He says, so, so, so let, let me see this. So, so things that are immoral are things that bring about harm. Okay, so let me give you an example. You have a dentist. A woman sits in the chair, and the, the dentist needs to do some work on her, so he puts her under. And then he has his way with her sexually. And then she wakes up, and she feels better. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a nice day. No one was harmed. She never knew what happened to her. Mr. Barker, is that moral or immoral? You see what happens when we don't have an absolute foundation, when we arbitrarily define what is moral, that which doesn't bring harm. That is not a firm foundation. That is building your house on sand. You see, it's the Christian who could affirm that that is wrong because the woman sitting in the chair is creating the image of God and that the law of God is written on the hearts of man and the dentist knows that he should not be doing that. You see, it makes sense for the Christian to call that objectively evil. It does not make sense for the atheist to call that objectively evil. He might believe it's wrong, and I agree with him. But on his worldview, how can he bring those two together? He can't. And when you're discussing these issues with unbelievers, especially atheists who don't have that foundation, you need to bring that out. Because in reality, the unbeliever is actually borrowing from your worldview in order to make the case for his. Let me tell you something about atheists. They don't exist. Okay? They don't exist. I don't think the Bible believes that there are atheists in the world. I want you to turn to another scripture with me. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this. You guys tracking with me? Good, good, good. You're not, you're not dead yet. There we go. Good. Let's see here. Romans chapter 1. We touched upon this earlier before. Just want to kind of highlight an aspect of uh, maybe a verse that we did not cover. Um, and I think it's very important. Okay. I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And when I engage with unbelievers, I do not lay that uh, commitment aside. Um, I try my best to be consistent with my own worldview. 
And so when God gives us revelation, it's true whether the unbeliever agrees with it or not. Okay? And here's what the Bible says about the unbeliever. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and on, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now listen, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. For even though they knew God. If that statement is true, do atheists exist? If it's true? You see, in a very profound way, the Bible teaches us, in a, in a very nuanced fashion, all men know God exists and suppress the truth about that in their unrighteousness. And it's very interesting that when you're interacting with unbelievers, you see that suppression. You understand that unbelievers, when you press them on those foundational issues of morality, logic, the, the intelligibility of science, you begin to see that they will affirm things that don't make sense if what they say about the world is true. They are stealing from God. They are living on God's property and denying the existence of the landlord. And so the job of the Christian apologist is not to give information to an ignorant person. It is to remove the mask and get to the foundational issue. You know the God I'm speaking of and you are suppressing the truth about him in your unrighteousness. Now apologetics goes further than that. We don't just make the claim. It's incumbent upon you as the Christian apologist to demonstrate how that's the case. And you do what many of the speakers have brought out. How do you account for morality? How do you account for the existence of the universe? Challenging people at the foundational level. Recognizing that Christians don't have to run away from the evidence. We do not run away from the fact. As I said before, I argue that only if Christianity is true and the world is the way that the Bible says it is, fact and evidence wouldn't even make sense unless the God of the Bible created the world in the way that he, that he has explained in his word. Proof itself is proof for God's existence. How do I know that Christianity is true? If it weren't true, you couldn't prove anything. Man, that's, that's stupid, man. What, what are you talking about? I could prove all sorts of things. Proof presupposes logic. Logic are conceptual laws of thought. Logic, universal, or are they limited to location? Think about that. Laws of logic are universal concepts. You follow me? A concept is material or immaterial. Can I see a concept growing in a garden? That'd be scary, right? <laughs> no, you can't see a concept growing in a garden. It's very interesting. You see the stark suppression of truth when you speak with the metaphysical naturalist. All that exists is matter in motion, yet he gives you a nice, fancy argument that's based upon 
immaterial conceptual laws. Everything that exists is physical, but I'm going to give you a conceptual, non-physical argument that's based upon these laws that apply everywhere all the time. See the problem? Everything that exists is physical. Logic exists. It's immaterial, and I'm going to use it. Walking contradiction. Logic belongs to God. Logic belongs to you. The unbeliever uses logic too. Why? Because what he says with his mouth, all that exists is the physical world. He does not believe in his heart. He lives in ways that are, he acts and lives in ways that are contrary to the profession of his mouth. I don't believe in God. There is no evidence for God. Yet when that evidence rears its ugly head, man, like a, like a man sitting on a beach ball in the pool, he will sit on the ball, but he feels that pressure rising up. The truth of God's word rises up, but the unbeliever suppresses it. Your job in apologetics is to let him know, listen, I know what you're doing. You're struggling with the truth of God. You cannot account for human experience unless what I'm saying is true. You see, apologetics, I said this before, it's not all here. I want to speak to the unbeliever here, but we also need to get here. And you don't want to spend so much time talking about these arguments that can take you at these rabbit traps. I mean, they're important, but we want to get to the gospel. And that's why another important aspect of apologetics and, and just being consistent with our worldview is that we need to recognize what we're defending and who we're defending. We're defending the truth of the Christian worldview. And so part of my presentation to the unbeliever, part of the, the presentation of my worldview perspective will include the person and work of Jesus and your obligation to him because one day Jesus will judge everyone. And if I can't get a conversion in the parking lot, my goodness, I'm going to throw that pebble in your shoe. And you're going to, I don't know how many people have walked away with a pebble in their shoe. How many people have walked with a pebble in their shoe? Oh my goodness. I remember walking around Six Flags Great Adventure and there was a pebble in my shoe. It wasn't a big pebble, it, but it was big enough to be annoying, but not big enough for me to actually, you know, overcome my laziness and get it out of my shoe. So the whole time I was kind of like, man, you know, that's what we want to do as Christian apologists. You don't need to baptize the person in the puddle in the parking lot, but you're going to, you're going to throw that, that pebble and you're going to pray that God does his work. And so let me kind of summarize this by, by way of review here. A worldview is a network of assumptions, of presuppositions, of beliefs in terms of which we interpret everything. Recognizing the unbeliever's worldview is important and recognizing that you have one is important as well. And it is your task to be a faithful Christian and live, act, and argue consistently with that foundation. The Bible presents to us a method of critiquing. Answer not the fool, answer the fool. Right? Don't adopt their perspective, but adopt their perspective so that they can see the foolishness of the perspective. When we are engaging in apologetics, make sure you know who is sitting on the throne of your heart. And let that fact dictate how you engage the unbeliever. Because let me tell you something. You can get into arguments and it's so easy. It's like, I want to kill you right now. I really do. No, wait, wait. I'm going to kill him. Sometimes it's very easy to hate the opponent, especially when they're saying things very offensive to your most deepest commitments. But we are called to walk with gentleness and reverence. And that in itself also acts as an apologetic. 
to have the scriptures as the divine commentary of reality, understanding what the Bible says about the nature of reality, affirming that and defending it, not compromising, not running away from the Bible. I, I say this all the time. What is the best book on apologetics? It is the Bible. Apologetics can be uh, something very interesting, and I, I struggle with this sometimes. When you study a lot of philosophy, which is vastly important, and I believe there is a Christian philosophy, when you study a lot of science, when you study a lot of history, it can be dry and draining, and you lose the joy of the relationship aspect with God. But when you read the scriptures, and you're being fed here, you're also being ministered here. Sometimes, how many people know that, that sometimes you need to do apologetics on yourself? Because we struggle. I don't know who said this, but I like the quote, and I'll end with this. Visit many books, but live in the Bible. Thank you. Think about that. You want to be a faithful defender of the Christian faith? Know the Word of God. Live the Word of God. And submit to the authority of the Word of God. And point out to the unbeliever, unless you submit to this authority yourself, you have a house that's built on sand. And you then proceed to show that those foundations are weak, and you do it to the glory of God. Thank you very much.